podcast yet, but if they have, we'd like to welcome all of you to our um, Bible study where we love to study the unadulterated word of God, just the Bible. Everybody excited? Yes. We're ready to go. And like to welcome all of you who are watching later or now. Uh, if you're watching now, we'd like you to help us by simply sharing this and liking this broadcast. It helps us to get the message out. And we'd like to know you're there. If you're there and you're watching and, and you don't mind people knowing, just type I'm here in the chat. And we'll be glad uh, that you're with us if you're listening by podcast later. And for those of us who are watching online, if you will go to www.encounter360.org, you can click on the live stream tab and the Bible study notes for tonight are in the notes section. So if you'll go to www.encounter360.org, you're able to pull uh, the Bible study notes live from the web there. Uh, so with further, without further ado, let's get into the lesson. It's, it's a wonderful thing. We've seen that mankind has been leaving God and they have been devolving and going down and God has decided to do a reset. And so we see where we left, uh, Noah was with creatures uh, in the ark, in the ark that's probably about four stories high uh, and about a football field and a half long. And he's going on a, a very large journey. We generally think the flood was just 40 days and 40 nights. But from our study, how many days uh, did the flooding continue? Anybody remember? 150, 150 days of flooding before the flood waters recede. So we're going to start at Genesis chapter 8, starting at verse 1, and we can read it together if they have it on the screen. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. We won't read it all tonight for sake of time, and I want to get uh, into some of these questions that I want you to take home and write. These are made so these can help you. Let's read it together. What does it say? But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Let's keep reading. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of heaven had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. Let's go on down to verse 5. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month on the first day of the 10th month on the tops of the mountains became visible. And the tops of the mountains became visible. So we see the flood is over and Moses is on the mountain of Ararat. Uh, not Moses, but Noah is, is on the mountain uh, of Ararat. We're a little bit early for Moses. Ararat, if you don't know where Ararat is, it's around the, the border of the uh, Soviet Socialist Republic in that area right there, around the Turkey area, uh, those mountains, that mountain range there, that the water has been so high. Remember, we said that the water was at least 50 feet above all the mountains and that it took some time for, for it to come down. And, and the first note I put in here before we get into the notes I gave you guys is that sometimes the move of God takes time. Why is it important for that to know? Because we live in what kind of society? A microwave society. Everything has to be what? 
quick, 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 like that. This flood takes 150 days. God is doing a, re a reset. But I wrote some notes for you guys and some for myself. And I wrote this down and it says, don't get in a hurry and don't get ahead of God. Why do I say that? Because we're going to read a little bit down after uh, things receive. We're going to start at a verse five and then we're going to go verse six and go all the way to uh, 12. So let's start at six and 12 and let's go. After 40 days, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water over all the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. Two more verses. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. Last verse for right now. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. We can't get ahead of God's timing. Most of us, as soon as the waters, we thought the waters had receded, what would we do? Most of us would run straight out of the ark, wouldn't we? I've been on this boat for months. It's been almost half a year. It's time to run, but we can learn um, some, some very valuable lessons right here. For one thing, you might notice that God does not allow uh, the ark to land on dry ground. Can anybody imagine why he doesn't let the ark land on the ground? It would probably sink, wouldn't it? Because the water has been on the ground for days. And what happens when you put something full of 45,000 animals on the ground? But how often have we become frustrated at God because he put us somewhere and we didn't think it was the place that we should what, be? Oh, it's going to be difficult, Lord. I got to get these mountains. I'm on a mountain, which means I have to go down the mountain trail. This seems like a harder path. Would it not have been easier for you just to land me on the what? Ground. Would it not have been easier, Lord, for you just to put me in a family that had plenty of money, two parents, and a normal childhood, nobody do anything to me, everything turned out right? Would that not have been easier, God, for you to do? But could I submit to you a question? Maybe God knows more than we would do. And sometimes we get ourselves in trouble because we get what? Ahead of God. So the number one question, somebody read out that question. What does it say? Good. What are some areas of my life that I might need to wait on God's timing as opposed to mine? What, what, what would be a good place where we might want to wait on God? Relationships. He said that very quick. <laughs> Sounds like a person who's been through relates, bad relationships. How many times have you picked somebody because they were cute or picked somebody because they made you feel all good, but, but all of a sudden you knew there were warning signs? And what generally happens is that's why it's good to have a father in the home and that my daughters know, and they won't be dating anyway time soon anyway but they already know they've been told before you even think about marrying somebody or even dating them bring them to daddy what first because daddy is going to determine if they're good for you because daddy daddy's not taken away by muscles and biceps daddy just sees a threat to his daughters 
and, and no good intents. Why? Because daddy's been a boy before himself too. And so daddy can see things that you cannot see. So how many times have people gotten themselves in the situation because they did not wait on God's time? You notice that Noah did wait on God's time and we just read, what's he do? He doesn't hop out of the boat. He opens the window. He sends a raven to test. And it, and it comes back and nothing what? Happened. So he doesn't get out of the boat. How many of us have hopped into jobs or hopped into relationships or hopped into contracts that we couldn't get out of and we were stuck with for years or hopped into car loans or house loans because we simply didn't wait on what? God. And it cost us. And not only did it cost us, we were mad because God didn't set us on flat ground where we thought he should have. He put us in the mountains and our obstacles seemed a little high, but not realizing that sometimes the hardness that God puts in your life or allows in your life is the reason you're as strong as you are. One of the worst mistakes parents always make is what? I don't want my child to what? Suffer like I had to suffer. And so therefore they give their child everything the child learns to appreciate nothing. I'm not going to do my child like I was done. Uh, whether you believe in spanking or not, my mama didn't care if you believed in it or not. She believed in it. And, and, and we grew up and we say, we're not going to, I'm not going to treat my child like I was treated, not realizing that the way I was treated may have something to do with how I turn out. And so we get mad at God about putting us in certain situations saying, God, if you gave me a better this. Anybody ever done that? If you hadn't set me on the mountain, what if it could have been easy and mom and dad could have sent me to college? I couldn't have got all these loans. And, and we hop out there ahead of God and right after a move of God and God's wiped us with a clean slate and we put ourselves back in the same old way. How many people do you know that work hard, get themselves out of debt and within two years, they're right back in what? debt. So number two, that question says, what are some of the risks of getting ahead of God's timing? Somebody tell me, I've just given you a couple. What are some things that could, that are, are the risk of getting ahead of God's timing? Somebody said debt, extra debt. Not thinking things through. What, what do you risk by getting ahead of God's timing? You could risk everything. You could risk being tied to the wrong person for the rest of your life, having a child with the person for the rest of your life without ever considering the consequences. And now you're forever indelibly tied to that person because you didn't count up the what? Cost. Jesus said if a man builds a building, he must first what? Count up the what? Cost. So we see a lot in just these few scriptures. Uh, and then we see Noah begins to send out a dove in verse 11. I love this. I'm going to read verse 11. And I want you to want to see if anybody catches this. Uh, I'm going to start at verse 10. He waited seven days. Everybody say he waited. And again, sent out a dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him that evening, there in his beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Now, you may have looked right over there, but what type of bird is it? The first bird was a raven. Ravens generally uh, represent God's provision. So the raven found a cache or someplace for it to store food so it didn't come back. But he knew it wasn't yet time. He sent out a dove. When we see a dove in the, uh, in the Bible, what is it usually symbolic of? The Holy Spirit. So could it be that we see Noah as a symbol and a type of what we should be doing, that when we're waiting on God, not only are we waiting on God, but we're listening for a message from the Holy Ghost. 
We're listening for a message from the spirit of how I should conduct my life. Which way should I go? Should I have a leading, uh, a leading of the spirit? How many times have we done something because it was a good idea, but it wasn't a God idea? Mm -hmm. He it, it made a lot of sense. I, I see the raven went out and he didn't come back, which means he found some place to land. Why don't we just get out on the mountain and see? No, I'm going to wait until the spirit what moves. I'm going to wait until this dove comes back, uh, Noah. And what does he bring back? He brings back something else. He brings back a, what kind of branch? There's nothing in the Bible by accident. When we when we say if we, I'm going to extend the olive branch to you, what is that generally indicative of? A message of what? Peace. So God allowed the dove to bring a message to say the coast is clear. That now my wrath has been satisfied for the moment and there will be what? Peace. Also, the olive is indicative of what? The crushing of an olive is indicative of what? The anointing. How many times have we wrecked our lives because we got ahead of God? We didn't seek the direction of the Holy Spirit and we went out without the anointing or the approval of God to do what we wanted to do. And you're able to perform, but God, you can't do it nearly as much or be as effective as you can because you did not wait on the spirit to guide you, or nor did you wait on the anointing of God. He waited for a word from the what? Lord. Ladies, don't marry him until you get a word from the Lord. Because he can give you all types of words. When you date somebody, you don't meet them. You meet their representative. That's who you meet. <laughs> and generally, when you marry them, you marry their representative. You might be married two years before you realize that's not her real face. And that he got spaces in his shoes and he's not that tall. <laughs> we generally tend to hide things from people. There are things in the natural we can't see, but we need to be able to trust and rely on what? The spirit of God. You see all that sitting right there in the text? So Noah does this. And, and then after Noah gets out, I want us to read something else. We're going to jump over to uh, God's allowing them to come out of the boat. Uh, let's start at verse 18. We're going to read verse 18 all the way down through 22. Is this helping anybody tonight? Good. So let's read together. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all of the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds he sacrificed, burnt offerings on it. Leave that scripture up. Go, go back to verse 20 and leave that scripture up because that goes to our very next question. Somebody read what question four said. Four, yeah, number four. It says what? I was typing fast. That's supposed to say what does Noah's actions in verse 20 say to men today? So what does Noah's action, when Noah gets off and God is finished moving, what's the first thing Noah does? He builds an altar. What's that indicative of? Giving thanks, but also, what's the W word? Worship in church. We said last week the reason Noah's family was spared is because who was righteous? Noah. 
I submit to you, what does that say about the way men should be today? What should be our number one priority as men? Worship. So men should not be sending their families to church. Men should what? Be bringing their families to church. And not only bringing their families to church, but teaching them at church. And sometimes, and I'm not here to tear men down. This is an encouragement for us as men that this is the place God has given us to be, to be able to lead our families in worship. Well, I like to fish and I like to hunt. Well, that's fine. They got Saturdays for that. Church is on Sunday, and you knew all week long that church was on Sunday. Now, you can go out every now and then. You can miss a Sunday if you can. I'm, I'm almost scared to say that. Some pastors just stop, stop breathing when I said that. If you have something to do, we can understand that. But here's the problem with that. That's why a lot of people haven't come back to church. Their heart isn't in it, and we make excuses to do everything but come to what? Church. And God is looking for men to stand up and step up and what? Lead. If you have a man at home and he's having trouble showing up and you're on the live stream or wherever, you need to read him this scripture. Not in a bad way, but say, hey, I'd love it to have a man that leads us in worship. I'd love it to have a man that leads us in prayer. I'd love it to have a man that's a spiritual covering and that worship is his priority, not something he does on the what? Side. I come every now and then. We see from this scripture, the first thing he does, and generally what's, whatever you do first is what? The most important to you. He doesn't even kiss the ground. He doesn't do any of that. The first thing he did, does, he comes and he serves God at the altar and gives God an offering. Your children should grow up seeing that out of all the things that are important to daddy, the number one thing that's important in his life is his relationship with God. And that is family. My kids are very smart. My, my kids are very gifted. I'm grateful for that. But don't you know, I tell my kids, as gifted as you are and as smart as you are, I don't care what you do in life. None of that matters to me if you don't love God. What profit the man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? I'm going to love you no matter what because I'm your father. You could, whatever you do, you're going to get unconditional love for me. But what makes me more prouder than anything is that you love Jesus. Not that you got a bunch of degrees. That's great. I want you to do that because I don't want you to be in my house all the time eating up my food when I'm old. I want you to do all sorts of things. But at the same time, what good would that be if you become smart and you leave God and the generations that, that, that bear my DNA get pulled away from God? That Christian service must be a what? Priority. Wow. It's amazing what you can see in a scripture, right? Now, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 through 22. We read some of it, but let's start at verse 20 and read all the way through 22 and see how God responds to what Noah says. Let's read. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Now, stop. I just saw this. For somebody that's dating, if he doesn't love Jesus, stop dating. That should be the number one starter. No, no, but you can't. Oh, I can change him. No, you can't. You can't change him. If he does not love Jesus and you love Jesus, you can't get with somebody to lead you that's further behind than you are. If he doesn't love Jesus, that's an unstarter. That's another thing my girls know. If, he, if he's not saved, got no problems with him. But no, you can't have my daughter to lead her. And spiritually, you're behind. 
but I can provide. I'm grateful for that. I don't want you to know Jesus and not know how to work either. I don't want a lazy Christian. <laughs> I want both. You can't have both. Yes, I can, because I'm daddy. And I'm going to hand her to you. And you're not going to get her until I say you can have her. So you can get a job or you can get these hands. <laughs> Whichever one she want. <laughs> but daddy's going to protect this girl. Sister Bernice said, did he say that? Yes, I did. Daddy first, pastor second. I'm going to protect my girls. I'm just messing with Sister Bernice to make her smile. <laughs> but at the, at the end of the day, it's important that before you get entangled with anybody, male or female, depending on which one you are and the opposite sex of that, that they have a relationship with God. If they don't, it's a non-starter. You're not going to change them. You're not going to change them. Nine times out of ten, you're not going to change them. Sometimes the Bible says if y'all got married, you all were married and now you don't and one of you believes and the other one doesn't believe and you've been converted since then well that's different you can't leave that person you got to love them and, and make the best out of that situation but don't put yourself in a bad situation because if he doesn't love god or she doesn't love god or know what true love is how are they going to love you really <laughs> they don't know what love is but let's keep going because that clock is still rolling all right, so let's keep going to verse 20. I just had to stop. I felt that that needed to be said. Let's go to verse 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Now, sometimes people misuse this scripture to say what it doesn't say, but we're going to talk about what it does say today. So number five, somebody read what the uh, number five says. Okay, so based off of this statement that God has given Noah, what can we assume about the character of God? What, God's direct. He's honest. He's direct. What else? He's truthful. His love. That's a good one because he could have just destroyed everybody, but he gave mercy to Adam and uh, to Noah. And so his love has what? Protected. What else do we see about God? Yeah. Yeah. And if you if you're faithful to God, he'll be faithful to you. And the word says that God is often faithful to us when we're not faithful to him. And that last one, somebody's going to say God can be. Well, God can be trusted. Everybody say trusted. God hasn't lied. He's kept his what? Word. We have not seen another catastrophic flood. And we have seen seed time and harvest. Since then, we have seen summer and winter and hot and cold. And if you're in Michigan, you could probably see it all in the same day. 
<laughs> so we can see that God can be what? He can be trusted. And that's something we need to know when we're, we're serving a God, that we serve a God, that his word, the Bible says, before one jot or tittle of my word shall pass away, heaven and earth shall pass away. So if God gave you a promise, you can take it to the what? You can take it to the bank. That's something you need to know about the character of God. And he may not do it when you want him to do it, but he's going to do it. Let's keep going. Is this, this helping you guys? If it's helping you in the chat, right, it's helping me. Uh, I, I can't see you on Facebook or YouTube or wherever you are right now, but we often look at those comments at the end, and we'll love to interact with you a little bit later. So we're going to look at verse uh, chapter 9, and, and we see that God's doing the same thing he did uh, in verse 1 that he did with mankind at first. Be fruitful and what? Increase in number and what? Fill the earth. And so he talks about their relationship to animals and how animals uh, will we'll, uh, be different this time towards them. He says, let's just read it. Start at verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea that are given into your hands, Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you green plants, I now give you everything. Now stop for a second. What does that say? The question in six says, how does the human diet change? Until this point, you may not have noticed, but they don't eat what? They don't even eat meat. They've been eating her. They've been eating just vegetables and things like that. It's not until after Genesis, uh, Genesis 9 that God tells them they can eat what? Meat. He says, I've given every animal for you to eat now. That's amazing what you see in the Bible with, with, and, and things like that. So we see um, that, <clears throat> and we'll come back later, you, like Brother Bob said, a few exceptions. Those exceptions don't come for these people. They come for Jews. They have dietary laws. And sometimes people use those dietary laws to manipulate things. They'll say, well, you'll say this in Leviticus, but then you eat shrimp. Well, that, that's, that's being intellectually dishonest. People are manipulating the Bible to try to say certain behaviors are okay. There are three types of laws in the Bible. There are temple laws, there are dietary laws, biblical laws, and civil laws. There are certain things that like Exodus 20, God has given us. Those commands stay to the day. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Exodus 20. That, and that hangs all the law and the prophets. Then there were civil laws that God gave that were specific to Israel. And then there are dietary laws that he gave that were specific to Israel. But those laws were erased. And God says, call no thing that I eat unclean. And sometimes I have seen, unfortunately, people use the fact that we we can wear blended wool now and linen and stuff mixed together and we can eat shrimp to justify other things that the bible condemns and the two are not the same they're 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 using and manipulating the bible and 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 those who do not know the bible don't know that um, so it's important for us to know and rightly divide the what word of truth yes you can eat shrimp but some things god said were bad are still bad <laughs> And they don't change because you can eat shrimp and crawfish. So that's just a sidebar because Brother Bob uh, brought that up. He brought that to my mind. But let's keep going because, Brother Bob, I got a clock. You can't do that to me. Let's keep on going. <laughs> but we're doing good. This is exciting, right? So 
we want to read and we're going to go um, Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 through 6. Um, we can start at uh, verse 4 and start right there because it kind of segues in. Let's go to verse 4. Let's read it. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being, too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Ooh, let's keep going. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. So somebody read question number seven. And then I'll read it so the audience can hear it uh, on social media. Go ahead and read it. Somebody read that real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. What does this tell us about how we should use all human blood? Wow, that's what does so why? Well, let's answer that first question. Why does God demand justice for the taking of human lives? Why did He say, "If you shed man's blood, by man shall your blood be shed"? Why did He say that? It's right. He made us in His image. Yes, that's it. We are the image bearers of Christ. If somebody can sing real good, they may not know Jesus. But guess what? They're giving glory to God because who created them? God. We bear his what? Image and his likeness. So when we have an attack on somebody, it's not just them we're shedding or killing. They bear God's what? Image. So what's the next question? And what did, and this is for Christians. I know the world doesn't always view this way, but what does this tell us about how we should view all human life as sacred and precious? Does that mean life before it comes out the womb? Yes, it does. Because God tells Jeremiah, before I formed you in the belly. Before you ever got into the womb, I already what? Knew you. You had an existence before you got there. I called you out of eternity and the time. You are a part of me. So our life is what? Precious. So does God ever approve of the taking of human life? No. Now, he does have justice, and some people will argue over the death penalty and things like that, because it does say, if you shed blood by man, shall your blood be shed, and sometimes you reap what you sow, and we do obey civil authorities. I'm not going to get down to that debate today, uh, because you can get mired down in the weeds, but the basic thing is, all life is what? Precious. So we should, as Christians, this is not a political issue. This is a biblical issue. So as Christians, we should fight to protect all life in the womb, out of the womb, and even after it gets out of the womb. We should not fight to keep the baby alive and then pretend like the baby's not going to starve because we refuse to care for it. We should show concern for all human life through all stages of life. That's why we're under bridges and, and feeding homeless people and doing things like that. Because whether they have a three-piece suit or not, they're made in the image of what? God. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I was hungry and you, and you visited me. He didn't say them. 
He said, me. I'll paraphrase it. I was beneath the bridge on 8 Mile and 75, and you gave me a blanket. And you say, when you, when did I do that? When you did it to them, you did it to me. Why? Because they are made in my what? Image. So when we find ourselves talking against people and being vitriolic and mean towards people, even on social media and saying nasty stuff and attacking people because they think differently politically towards us, we're attacking somebody who is an image bearer of who? God. It's okay to respectfully disagree with somebody. But when we start to attack people's name and their character and things like that, that says less about them and more about what? Us. Because although they're not children of God, the Bible says there's a distinctive difference. You have to be saved to be considered a child of God. And that's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. Um, but God, they are still God's what? Creation. And for God so loved the what? World. He died for them. Because they're not children of God doesn't mean he doesn't want them to be. Because it's God's will that what? No man should perish. God's not concerned that that person believes differently than you. He might not like their belief, but his ultimate goal is that they change their life so they can be what? Saved. That goes right down to the raunchiest, nastiest person that God wants them saved because he loves them. It's important for us in the church to show what? Love. That doesn't mean we accept all wrongdoing and say right is wrong. No, we have to let God have the standard, but we have to learn to love people and, and, and while we're having a standard and keep that balance with saying this behavior is wrong, but I'm not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Now, if you're a Christian and you're doing wrong behavior and you just unrepentant, there's a, no, a whole nother segue and I don't have enough time. We're not going down that way this time. But as a general practice, Christians should be practicing what? Love. To reach those who might seem unreachable and love those who might seem unlovable. And God's, the Bible says that Noah was a righteous man. I believe it's first Peter that calls him a preacher of righteousness, right? So we see that and we see why God demands justice. And we see uh, uh, in verse 9 through 17, let's read that. We'll go ahead and read 9 through 17 because um, that's, that's good. There's some good stuff in there. Let's read that. Um, and this is God talking. I start on verse eight. It says, then God said to Noah to, and to his sons with him. Now we'll start on verse nine. I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock and all the wild animals and all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on the earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off from the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set a rainbow in the clouds and I will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the cloud, I will see it 
and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. Now, a covenant is once again an agreement. Just to go over what a covenant is, people generally would tear an animal in half and walk between that animal. They'd swear by some god or whatever the case may be, and, and they say, uh, and by themselves, and they say, if I don't do what's performed in my covenant, may I die. May it happen to me what's happened to these animals. May I be split in half if I don't keep my word. And also, we look at the law of first mention that how something's generally mentioned first is how it continues. And this is the first time that we see the what? Rainbow. So if you look at it, the rainbow points upward, doesn't it? So I just said in the covenant, if I don't keep my covenant, may I be cut or harm come to me. The rainbow looks like an arrow and a what? Bow. And which way does it point? God is saying, if I don't keep my covenant. <laughs> In other words, God can swear by nobody but himself. He's going to keep his covenant. That is his battle boat. He is saying, this is my covenant that I will not destroy the earth again by water. So when we think of the rainbow, what should Christians think of? God's grace, God's mercy, God's provision, and God's his love and his promise. And that's all we should think of. I leave that right there. And I keep right going right along. But that's when we see a rainbow and we see the colors of the rainbow. God put that there. And he says, every time you look at this, what should you be thinking of? My covenant with you. Redemption. That I'm saving you. And so we're going to start at verse 18 because we're going to see some things that are going to get into uh, those things. What else does God covenant assure us of? Just, just so we know. He'll never flood the earth again. I heard somebody over here. Okay. Yeah, we just went over most of it. I just want to see are you listening. <laughs> Or the animals by water. Yeah. That, and, and so that's God's covenant with us. So I want you to look at something. Let's look at verse 18. And it's kind of a foreshadowing because you'll see something. And when they mention something, they never mention anything in the Bible by accident. So pay attention to verse 18. Let's read it. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Now, it didn't mention... Who, who anybody else was except for Ham is the father of Canaan. So guess who's going to be the central figure in the next verses? Ham. You see how the Bible's kind of setting you up and letting you know this is what's going to happen. Pay attention to who? Ham. From Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and we've already discussed this, the Bible, uh, all, all nationalities come. From Shem come the Hebrews, the Chaldeans, Laith, you come from Shem. Assyrians and Persians and Syrians. Uh, from Ham come the Canaanites, the Egyptians, the Philistines, the Hittites, and the Amorites, or, or the, the African people, the people of darker hue. 
And then we have from Japheth come the Greeks, the Thracians, and the Scythians, people of European descent. Generally, all of us, believe it or not, if you pay attention, are all brown. We're just a different hue of brown. Some of us are lighter brown. Some of us are beige. But if you pay close attention to us, we're all a hue of brown. And when God formed man from the dust, he formed him from the dust of the ground. And Adam means mankind, brown or ruddy. So some of us have less pigmentation. Some of us have more. But at the same time, we all come from the same what? Place. That's, that's basically here. So let's see what Ham's going to get into. Um, so let's see what verse 20 says, because we have some good stuff in here. Verse 20 says, what? Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. Oh, this is this is we can already see this is this is starting to be bad right now. He planted a vineyard. What grows in vineyards? Grapes and grapes turn to what? Wine. Okay, we already know where this is going. So let's see. Can anybody guess what's going to happen in verse 21? They hadn't already read ahead. Let's read what verse 21 says. Now, keep in mind, Noah is a preacher of righteousness. Noah is a righteous man. God, but let's see what he does. When he drank some of the wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. He got stone drunk and was laying out, basically stark naked. <laughs> in his tent the preacher of righteousness now i wrote this verse 9 and i'm going to read this one chapter uh this question 9 genesis 9 18 through 21 shows us that even the blank of blank can sometimes have the blank of blank and so i know you don't know that but you can fill this in that even the most righteous of men can have the worst of behavior that he was, like Abraham was righteous. Even the most righteous of men can have the worst of behavior. He's righteous not because of what he did. He's righteous because God declared him what? Righteous. But we also see that even after the flood, that if you read down back through some of those scriptures that we went through, it still says that God saw that the intent of man's heart was still evil all the time. So God didn't destroy the, the propensity for the heart to be evil or to do bad stuff. So this drops a lot of stuff on his head because we generally tell people that people are generally what? Good people. We're generally good and we turn bad. But the Bible says that we're generally bad and we need God to do what? Good. <laughs> that, that's a little bit different than the thought process we have today. But don't we see this right here in scripture? That's why I like going back to Genesis because we can go back to the source. Because people say, I don't need God. Why? I'm a pretty good person. Uh, being good doesn't get you to heaven. And Jesus said, Call no, no man is good but God. Trusting in the cross of Jesus Christ and what he has done and His and for our salvation is what gets you to heaven. Repentance and changing your mind and following Christ is what gets you to heaven. Submitting to God, resisting the devil and fleeing and running to Jesus. Those that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can't be good enough to get into heaven. But we got to get to ham because I'm running out of time. <laughs> let's, let's read verse 22. What's it say? Ham, the father of, they don't have it yet. Let's read it now. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. Now stop. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Gossip? He saw his daddy in a compromising position. And he didn't try to help his daddy. 
he immediately went to expose him. So I wrote this question in verse 10. What is the proper way to respond to somebody who has fallen into sin? Somebody tell me what's the proper way to respond to somebody who's fallen into sin. Can anybody tell you? Tell me. To what? To pray for them, to forgive, to try to get them back on the right what? Track. Yeah, back on the right track. Galatians 6 and 1 says what? If a brother is overtaken in a what? Fault, ye with your spiritual what? Restore that person. Your job is not to expose and embarrass that person. Your job is to put that person back on the right what? Play. So what should have been Ham's proper response when he saw his father in, in, a, in, a, in a bad position? It should have been to what? Cover him. To protect him. Not to say that what he did was right, but at the same time, to not try to destroy him or make fun of him as Ham has decided to do. His job has been to, should have been to cover him. Have we done a good job of that in past as the church as a whole? Let's be honest. I got a lot of probably nots. Could it be that a lot of people would still follow Christ now? Had we covered them instead of exposing them? Now, that doesn't mean that you don't talk about blatant sin and just and, and deal with sin. You have to deal with sin for the believers in the household of faith. But there's a right way and a wrong way to do anything. You, when you do something and you correct somebody, you correct them with a spirit of love so that you can do the least damage to them and the people that they what? harm but most times we just want to get them told and get them right and we do more harm than what good so let's look at first peter 4 8 it says this first peter 4 and 8 i don't know if they can pull it up there but it says above all love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin love doesn't expose also love now when i say that i'm not saying love just overlooks unless you live in any kind of way no love deals with the problem but love deals with the problem with the thought of i'm trying to do it for your good and help to restore you and get you into the right place not just so i can show people i'm better than this person because they messed up and ham did, didn't do that so ham has a problem so i'm going to ask this question in, in uh, uh question number 11 i run out of time can y'all yield me about five minutes if you don't mind all right thank you thank you the majority said yes so you can be mad at them all right <laughs> verse 11 says what somebody read chrissy read verse uh, 11 what does it say yeah read the question Oh, so I'm going to read that out so I can make sure that everybody can hear that. And while I'm reading it, I want you to think about that about yourself. Although Noah was wrong, so was his son's response. It was callous. It was disrespectful and sought to share Noah's fault rather than restore and uplift. Where are some places you have chosen the low road to expose someone rather than focus on covering and protecting? The Bible says if somebody's caught in a fault, the first thing you should do is go to that brother. See if they will repent 
And if they then if they don't repent, bring back a witness. And then if they don't repent, then you bring it to the public or, or to the local congregation and body, and you deal with that because that brother's unrepentant of sin. But what do we usually do? We skip right past. Will that brother or sister repent? And we put we put them on Facebook. We put them on blast. Don't we do it? How many of us have ever done something like that? Have you ever said something about somebody or had a conversation about somebody's behavior? You might not have put it on Facebook, but you had a conversation about somebody while they weren't around. So I ask that question again. Have we all done it? Gossip. That's what gossip is. Having conversations about stuff that people have done if you are talking about somebody other to to anybody other than the person that's done it and your intent is not to help restore that person or bring that person back to health, you are a gossip and God hates what? Gossip. And there's more wrong with you than there is that person. First Thessalonians says this. It says, study to be quiet and mind thy own business. Before you speak into somebody's life, you need to be prayerful and know that you have the authority to speak into that person's life. There needs to be a covering and a good authority structure. Everybody needs somebody over them that can speak into their life and tell them when they're wrong and pull their card. Nobody should be without covering, but we shouldn't be having conversations about anybody or anything they did. Why? Because we don't want people doing it about us. Do unto others as you would have them. When you hear that somebody's been gossiping about you, how does that damage you? So now take that and think about what damage you've done to other people. You destroyed their character. And you may have destroyed their character on a lot. You got some of the facts, not all of the facts. And you just took it and you what? Ran with it. Or you let, or you heard one side of the story and not the other side of the story. And Solomon says, one man sounds good in court until the other one starts what? Talking. And here's the thing. When people have conflict, there's this side and this side and the truth. And only two people will ever know the truth. The people in the conflict of what's going on. And everybody's going to tell it to their best ability. So the best thing for you to do is pray for that person and be what? quiet and hope that that person has somebody with authority in their life that can speak to them because everybody needs somebody that they have can be have give some spiritual submission to they, that accountability is good so when we put our mouth on other people and we spread stuff that we don't have verifiable fact for we're telling lies a lot of times and what do you call a person who tells lies a liar we're killing their character, which means we're guilty of murder. Now, because of what we said, and we don't have any verifiable proof, every time this person looks at that person, they're going to think of them some type of way. How many people have we ruined their reputation without having all the facts? And not realizing if we had all the facts, we might not be as judgmental as we should be because although you might have saw what they did, you didn't know all the stuff that went in behind it. And you may never know. 
Yeah. Yeah. But what did Ham do? Ham decided to find his father in a compromising position and take advantage of him. Is this helping somebody? So I ask that question again. Where are some places you've chosen the low road to expose somebody rather than covering and protecting? We see stuff in the news all the time about famous people in politics and in media, and we go around having conversations about them, don't we? And we don't know if any of that's true. How much stuff have you ever said about somebody uh, that's in a public figure and just to come back years later and find out that it's not true? Because the lie is always big, but when the media retracts it, they put it in a small print. And they let the damage stay done. And we help with that by spreading that stuff. As Christians, we should stop spreading wildfire. Only you can stop. What did Smokey say? Smokey said, only you can help prevent forest fires. We set people's lives on fire. Because James said the tongue is like a fire. How many lives have we destroyed and reputations and characters have we had because the gossip was just so juicy we couldn't help with talking about it? We couldn't help but expose it. But when it was done to us and we realized that what they were doing to us, and you heard some about you, and you sometimes I've heard some things about myself, and I laugh, it's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. So like Elizabeth said, according to other people, she lives a very interesting life. But we see the damage that Ham has done. So let's go to this last part because I'm almost out of time. I am out of time. Thank you for the extra time. But let's see how Noah responds to this. Uh, let's go to and see how his brothers respond as opposed to how he responds. Let's look at Genesis chapter 9, verse 23, and we're going to be done. Let's read. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked it backwards and covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. And let's stop right there. The best way for you to stop gossip is when people come to you and say, I don't talk about other people behind their back. I'm, I'm beware the dog that brings the bone because if you bring one, he'll what? Carry one. That's an old colloquialism in the South. And what does that mean? If they'll talk about other people to you, they'll talk about you to what? Other people. And how many times have you told a friend, somebody told you, man, I'm going to tell you this in confidence, but don't you tell nobody else. And you said, I got it. But you just couldn't hold it. So you found somebody you felt like you could trust. And you said, man, I can't tell nobody else this. But I just got the tip. Don't you tell nobody else. As if they don't have a friend that they trust. And they're going to go to that friend and say, look, man, I won't tell nobody. But don't you tell nobody else. The best way if you don't want somebody to know something, keep it to yourself. <laughs> but let's see how they can. Let's keep going. Because this is good tonight. Uh, verse 24 says what? When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done, he said, curse be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, will he be to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave to Shem. May God extend the territory of Japheth. And, and may Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his slave. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Altogether, Noah lived 950 years. Then he died. Now, you may not know this, 
But this is one of the one of the scriptures that was used in early colonialism and during the the Civil War era to condone the enslaving of black people. They use this because Hamitic people are dark-skinned people and that black people were descendants of Ham, not knowing that that was a gross misinterpretation of the scripture, that this had to do with Canaan. It had nothing to do with the race of people or, or what we would call the race of people. It had everything to do with the Canaanites, and this will be fulfilled later in scripture because they were sons, the Canaanites would actually uh, actually serve, uh, or and we see the Canaan is knocked out of the promised land and the Jews and take what? The promised land. Just like uh, where people would erroneously take the scripture, slaves obey your masters. And that's why many people in the African-American culture, believe it or not, don't trust the Bible because people manipulated it. And it's important for us to know what the scriptures really say. That's amazing, isn't it? That people take it and they manipulate the Bible, but the Bible is the true word of God. Um, but that's just a little history fact. It's Black History Month. I thought you'd like to know that. Last question. I didn't even number it. I'll read it. Let's read the last question together. What are some ways you can be... We're not reading. Let's, let's read together. What are some ways you can be self-aware of and course correct this behavior? What are some... Mind your own business. Hold your tongue. Mind your business. Yeah, that's it. And um, my, my nephew always said, said this, and I think he got it from uh, a pastor he listens to. He said, you see what you think you see, but you don't know what you think you know. And I always, that's not mine, that's not original, but I always look at that and I say, wow, that's profound. You see what you see, but you don't know what you think you know. But the whole point of that is, when we see people in a vulnerable position, we need to cover them because now Ham's descendants, which are the Canaanites, are going to suffer because he chose to take the what? Low road. Our descendants and our children can be affected by the decisions we make today. So let us always be mindful that we are not just making decisions for ourselves. We're making decisions for our future seed, born and unborn. You may have children yet to be born. And the decisions you make today could affect them tomorrow. Has this been a good study? Yes, indeed. I, I, praise God. Are there any questions? Any any questions? Any comments? Um, Brother Bob got a question. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, we probably are still on the camera, Brother Bob. <laughs> we'll talk about it off camera. <laughs> and that's okay. We I let the people hear the question and answer segment. But but I the misinformation. Yeah. Is this so 